The New South Wales Electoral Commission has announced that the excellent Freedom candidate, John Ruddock from the Liberal Democrats Party, has easily won a place in the upper house of the New South Wales Parliament. He joins One Nation Party leader Mark Latham with another eight years on the Conservative crossbench. But it was a devastating election for the Liberal Party. The Liberal Party is sometimes accused by those left of Stalin of being right of Nazis. Come to think of it, Nazis were the National Socialist German Workers' Party, and with its drunken spending, inflationary currency printing, and authoritarian limits on citizen liberties during the COVID policy pandemic, the New South Wales Liberal Party regime did bear a striking resemblance to fascistic socialism, and nothing like the liberalism of its founder, Robert Menzies. Other results included a humiliating loss of voter support for Fred Nile, who, now frail and in his late 80s, still preferred to single-handedly destroy his once legendary legacy rather than trust somebody not related to him with leadership. The new upper house crossbench will be essential for the new Labor Greens government, which only has 19 of the 42 seats, needing another three to pass legislation. The burning question disaffected Liberal voters have been asking since at least 2015 is, how do we save our country politically? It has long been my opinion that the only short-term political solution to the harmful shift of both major parties towards social leftism is to build a conservative crossbench in the upper house of every parliament. Do we need to become members of a minor party to build the nation's conservative crossbenches? Long term, is surrendering the Liberal Party to the long march of progressives the right thing to do? Joining me to discuss those questions and the path forward in this episode is Lyle Shelton from the Family First Party and the newly elected John Ruddick. I'm Dave Pello, and this is The Church and State Show. May all that you stand for and that we stand for be preserved under the providence of God for the happiness of mankind. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machinery. But it is the values of individual liberty, equality before the law, and the supremacy of people over the state to which we can always with confidence return as a powerful and uniting force. Australia is not a secular country. It is a free country. It's almost impossible to believe in the intellectual honesty of those who support public policy promoting gender and sexual confusion, death as therapy, or climate and COVID alarmism. Yet such people insist without blinking that the Liberal Party was politically destroyed in Western Australia, South Australia, Victoria, and New South Wales because the party was too right-wing, because conservatives and Christians are again joining the Liberal Party. Such corrupt thinkers reject any analysis that Liberal election results were harmed by campaign platforms, including carbon dioxide policies comparable to the extreme Greens, liberalising abortion and euthanasia, and enabling lockdowns and medical mandates. Ridiculous. As Damien Curie said in a recent episode of Church and State, that's as stupid as Pepsi changing their drink to taste identical to Coke and expecting people to change from Coke to Pepsi. At the very least, the competition for market share must feature a significant differentiation between offerings, 
every businessman has heard of the importance of a unique selling proposition. Historically and contemporarily overseas, we see strong conservative leaders have prevailed politically in the face of terrible media opposition and howls of contempt from trade unions and other astroturf protests. But they won and continue to win elections when they stiffen instead of bend in the storm. Traditionalism and conservatism is the home of common sense, and voters just need real leaders to follow. Leaders with the ability to communicate simple arguments for the indispensability of individual liberty, the prosperity of small government and free markets, the balance between necessary welfare and personal responsibility, sensible immigration settings, the rule of law, and the sanctity of life. But instead, the Liberal Party leaders believe they must campaign like they have a chance of convincing the ABC, Sydney Morning Herald, and The Guardian to vote for them. Newsflash, they never will, no matter how much you do what they tell you to. Labor Greens politicians and pundits will always call liberal policies racist, fascist, and phobic. So here's the thing. The solution to the infiltration of the Liberal Party by social progressives is to undertake a long march back and reform the rot. The political reformation Australia desperately needs is a major party with an actual chance of winning government and the willingness to argue unapologetically for morality, liberty and the rule of law. That's what we need. And the coalition parties are currently the only ones with a snowflake's chance in hell of taking politics where it needs to go in the long term. Every other idea people offer in response when I say this are unicorns, mythological fantasies much further from reality than slow reformation of the Liberal Party. Sure, most of the minor right-wing parties are better homes for classically conservative policies nowadays than either of the coalition parties, but the chance any of them will ever win government in our lifetime wouldn't be worth betting on. For decades, minor right-wing parties have repeatedly thrown everything in the China cupboard at elections and consistently come up with pathetic results, deliriously happy to just get one or two MPs elected, and often none. That is not a winning strategy for national political reformation. Joe Bjorka-Peterson, Margaret Thatcher, Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump were all in parties large enough to form government, and political reformation followed in their wake. But unlike repeatedly banging our heads against the wall and hoping it falls, as we do by joining minor parties, the cultural Marxist strategy of infiltrating and transforming institutions to represent their social agendas is proven successful and effective, hence why we now need to redeem them. I readily admit there is no short-term hope in this strategy, and remind you that it took the Marxists decades to turn our universities, corporations, religious denominations and political parties into Marxist entities, as they promised they would. But they were patient, and they prevailed. Should we now surrender and abandon those precious institutions to the invaders? Or should we learn from their success and adopt similar strategies, play by the rules and simply do what they did? You must never vote for any candidate out of blind loyalty to a party, whether you're a member or not. So join the Liberal Party and become part of the patient reformation of the once great institution, 
but always remain an undecided voter until you see who is the best candidate in every election. Do not join with anything less than a 10-year commitment to be part of the change. The South Australian branch of the Liberal Party is experiencing the early fruits of a long march back for Conservatives in less than three years, which is a miracle. So don't let anyone tell you it's hopeless. Of course, at the same time, it has to be said we don't have the decades a comparable long march back might take. So we still need another strategy for the short term. This is done best by what I just said, that we should never be anything but undecided voters at every election and always vote for the best candidate. While better candidates are offered by One Nation, Liberal Democrats, United Australia Party, Australian Christians in Western Australia or Family First, vote for them. Learn how preferences work and put the best candidate at number one on your ballot. The Greens candidate last and rank them in between, always numbering every box, whether it's compulsory or not. That will be the most effective short-term strategy to get a strong crossbench in the upper house of every parliament and put the brakes on bad government. It also encourages the coalition, if and when they offer actual conservative candidates, teaching the members, if not the leaders, there is political reward in political reformation. To summarise, Join the Liberal or National Party in your state and begin quietly influencing them every time you get a vote between Conservative and Progressive candidates and office holders. Never ever let anyone else pay your membership fee or control your private vote in party pre-selections. If the party rejects your membership application, keep trying every year. Don't take no for an answer. Never surrender this institution to the long march of Marxism. Always be an undecided voter. Saving the Liberal Party does not mean unconditionally supporting the Liberal Party. It means being salt and light in the darkness where it's needed the most instead of being useless and just whining about the darkness. As an undecided voter, always vote for the best candidate for the job regardless of what party they belong to and strategically aim for an independent crossbench in the upper house which will hold any government to account and slow down or stop the worst legislation. That is the goal of my guests today. Coming up soon is newly elected member of the Legislative Council, the New South Wales upper house, John Ruddick from the Liberal Democrat Party. I'll be talking with him about his policy agenda, including a parliamentary inquiry into the injustices of COVID policy. But first, I'm joined by the National Director of the Family First Party and unsuccessful Upper House candidate in this New South Wales election, Lyle Shelton. Lyle, welcome to the Church and State Show. Thanks very much, Dave. Good to be with you. Now, uh, I think it's uh, fair and uh, appropriate to perhaps punch on the Liberal Party for a little while. Uh, they've performed terribly in the New South Wales election, and it brings me no joy to say that they're performing terribly, but it seems to be a vindication of conservative messages that the constant departure of the Liberal Party from its grassroots uh, core values, the values of Robert Menzies, uh, and a huge lurch towards the left, if at least the centre, away from those, even being a little bit aggressive towards conservatives, seems to be punishing them in election after election after election in every state and even the federal campaign. 
Um, what are your thoughts on whether or not the Liberal Party is capable of learning and, and if they've learnt the right lessons from the recent New South Wales election? Mm. Yeah, well, well, Dave, I don't want to punch on, on anyone, but I want to discuss, obviously, ideas. And look, I agree with your analysis. Uh, the Liberal Party uh, have you know, gone away from the values of Sir Robert Menzies, who was the founder of the party. It's the reason why people like myself are building up uh, minor parties like Family First, because there is a gap uh, in the political discourse for um, policy that uh, supports uh, family, the heterosexual, monogamous, uh, mother, father, children model of family that's pro-life, uh, that, that will stand against the climate catastrophism that is vandalising our electricity grids. There's a complete policy vacuum on the centre-right of politics. That's why I'm in the game. That's why we're building Family First, uh, to try and provide a policy environment uh, that is safe uh, for the natural family and that will tackle some of these economic issues which are driving up uh, cost of living. Now, Peter Dutton uh, recently said on an episode of the Alan Jones show on ADH. We have to have a very different presentation to the Australian public by the time of the next election. We can't go there pretending that we're Labor light or that somehow people will vote for us if we're a pale imitation of the Labor Party. Right. That That's encouraging to hear and the appointment of Conservative Senator Jacinta Price. Uh, also seems to put some uh, money where his mouth is and, and that uh, Conservatives aren't something to be allergic to in the Liberal Party any longer. Yet there's many people, especially on the left of politics, but even the so-called moderates in the Liberal Party, who say that they're losing because the Liberal Party is too conservative. What on earth would possibly be giving them that idea? Yeah, the, the messages from the Liberal Party for a long time now, Dave, have been very mixed. Um, yes, it's a, a great, great baby, baby step, step in, in uh, Peter, Peter Dutton's, Dutton's leadership to have appointed uh, Jacinda Nampajimpa Price as the Shadow Indigenous Affairs Minister. That is a terrific move. But, you know, you have to ask the question, why is Senator Matt Canavan not the Shadow Resources Minister? Because they're trying to kowtow to the net zero climate catastrophist brigade. Um, the, the Liberal Party, I, I think, does give these mixed messages. We've just seen uh, my friend Moira Deeming in uh, Victoria, member of the Upper House Victorian um, Legislative Council, uh, suspended from the Liberal Party, uh, demonised and defamed by her own leader, John Pesuto, and her colleagues agreeing with a nine-month suspension and gagging of her uh, because she is standing up for the rights of women to have private spaces where they can be safe from the intrusion of biological males. So the, the Liberal Party is all over the place. It took policies to that Victorian election, uh, supporting Daniel Andrews' policy to jail parents who want to try and stop their children going off to one of these gender clinics and having irreversible surgery and chemical castration and puberty blockers and all of these sort of things. So the Liberal Party um, doesn't seem to know what it stands for. I think it's a, a systemic problem and uh, that's why I think the only way to bring about change uh, is to have uh, parties like Family First uh, keeping them honest and I, I think it's going to be a process over a long period of time because I don't see uh, any desire uh, for that power base in the Liberal Party to shift away from uh, that so-called, um, they call it moderate, but the, the Matt Keane sort of view of the world which, which is on a unity ticket with Labor, Greens and the Teals. Correct. Uh, if not Matt Keane, otherwise known sometimes as Matt Green, uh, who would you pick for the next leader of the Liberal Party in New South Wales? 
Look, um, I think you'd have to look at someone like uh, Tanya Davies from Western Sydney. She is uh, someone who is a genuine conservative. But again, these people have been marginalised within uh, the Liberal Party, not just here in New South Wales, but right around the country. We've just mentioned more redeeming. Uh, I couldn't get, get into, into Queensland, Queensland, LNP. Uh, so um, I, I don't see much hope that a conservative like Tanya Davies, who is a bright woman in Western Sydney, which is the battleground that they've got to uh, continue, continually mm. go after, um, I don't see much hope for her getting in. I was shocked to see Peter Dutton uh, launch Matt Keane's election campaign to give a video message at his election campaign. It does send all the wrong message. Matt Keane believes everything and more than what the Greens political party uh, does. Uh, he's the one who's responsible for this week's shutting down of the Liddell coal-fired power station in the Hunter Valley. 10% uh, of New South Wales electricity is just going to go uh, off the grid this week as a result of this. And we don't, do not have adequate backup supplies because wind mills and solar panels cannot provide the baseload power. So this is all Matt Keane's doing. He's more radical even than many in the Labor Party. Uh, and yet Peter Dutton endorsed his campaign. He's someone who supports the transgender ideology. Remember, talking about punching down on people, Matt Keane um, said that uh, Catherine Deves, a champion of girls and women's rights, uh, someone who's been trying to save their sport, Matt Keane said that she had no place in the Liberal Party and that she should be disendorsed as a candidate when she was running at the federal election earlier this year. So. Um, whatever Peter Dutton is doing, it, it's not clear. And I think this is contributing rightly to the disillusionment amongst people who are looking for leadership on the conservative side of politics. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, and Matt Keane uh, attacking Catherine Deves and describing her as having no place in the Liberal Party is, is inverted reality. It's, it's actually left yeah. of centre politicians such as Matt Keane who better belong in left of centre parties. Uh, whereas uh, people like Catherine Deves, Moira Deeming, Tanya Davies uh, are actually people who are much auth more authentically imitating Menzian liberalism uh, than those like uh, Matt Keane, etc. Listen, yeah. moving... Well, well right Dave, just on that, oh, my concern is those people you've just mentioned, you know, they are all marginalised figures in, in the modern Liberal Party, and yet they are the people who are carrying the values of Menzies. They are the people who would be compatible with the values of, of Family First, the political party that I'm involved with. Uh, and yet in the Liberal Party, uh, they, are, they are now outliers and they are marginalised, and there's often open hostility towards them. Oh, very, and, very And true. I think that's the sad, that's the sad state of um, affairs with uh, where the modern Liberals have got to. Yeah, that's very true. As I said in my editorial uh, that this is a matter of political currency. That's why Peter Dutton and Mac Bats backs Matt Keane is because that's where the numbers are. Uh, and all Conservatives abandoning the Liberal Party is going to make the problem worse, where Peter Dutton's only support or, or somebody we want to do well in leading the Liberal Party will have no choice if they want a career other than to pander to the Liberal left, whereas People like well, well, Moira well, Deeming and Tanya it, Davies, etc. Yeah. They need support by padding those factions, which will uh, balance the equation out a lot more within that party. Lyle, let's um, talk about Family First. Uh, you've, uh, with um, some of those uh, former Labor MPs from from South Australia, reformed the Family First party. Uh, you've just contested the Victorian election and now the New South Wales election. Mm. Uh, tell us how it's going, what the vision is and, and what elections are coming up that you're going to be focusing on. 
Yeah, thanks, Dave. Look, we're very encouraged with the way it's going. Um, we've we've actually contested three elections over the last 12 months since Family First was reformed, having been uh, in hiatus for about five years. Uh, so uh, we contested the South Australia election, narrowly missed out on Tom Kenyon being elected to the upper house there. Uh, I joined um, in about May of last year, uh, went pretty much straight to Victoria and worked on our Victorian campaign with uh, Lee Jones and Alistair Cameron and, and uh, and a whole bunch of about 400 other volunteers. Uh, we got 3.1% of the statewide vote at the November Victorian election. And this is coming from, from nowhere, having been mothballed for five years. Uh, we're very pleased with that. That was the best result of any of the minor parties. Now, our preference deals in the upper house weren't as good. We, we did pure preference deals based on principle, but uh, a couple of uh, minor parties leapfrogged us into uh, the upper house, essentially on um, on preferences of parties that don't share their values, uh, but that's the way that's politics. Uh, then I contested the New South Wales election as a family first backed uh, upper house candidate, and um, as of uh, counting today, I was on about fifty eight thousand votes, which. Um, which I'm very pleased with. That wasn't enough to get us over the line, but we weren't able to have the party registered here. So people were voting for a blank uh, voting square above the line with my name sort of um, underneath. Uh, wasn't great branding. It was terrible branding. In fact, in fact, it was no branding. But nonetheless, uh, our campaign still yielded a very credible result. So we feel like there's some momentum with us and um, we're determined to keep going and we believe uh, it's only a matter of time before we do break into a parliament somewhere around the nation. But we're determined going forward to look at Queensland, Northern Territory and ACT. They have state elections next year. There's some local government elections next year as well we're looking at. And of course, there's a federal election coming up, possibly if it's early uh, towards the end of next year or certainly in early 2025. So our work is only just beginning and um, we've been very emboldened by the results of the three elections we've contested so far. Now, I uh, do advocate that people give their membership to a major party as, as being the, the future parties of, of government uh, with a long-term strategy, but I also very clearly say that in the short term, uh, the only workable solution to the political problems we have in this nation is to get people like yourself, Mark Latham, John Ruddock, etc., elected to the crossbench of the upper houses to hold both of these parties, whichever party is in government, uh, to account to slow down or, and or stop bad legislation. So for those people that are looking for uh, the best candidates, which may be coming from the minor parties in, in coming elections, uh, to volunteer for and donate to and at least vote for, uh, tell us about Family First. What are the, the core values, principles, the, the value proposition that you're offering to disaffected Liberal voters who are, are looking for a better home for their, their vote, volunteer and donation. Yeah, look, we're looking to build a political movement that will put the natural family, mum, dad and the kids, the heterosexual monogamous family uh, at the centre of public policy. We want to be unashamed about that. Uh, that's not in any way to uh, be disparaging of, of single parent families, of course. Uh, no one wants to be in a broken family. We know that the ideal is mum, dad and the kids, all the social science proves that. So public policy needs to preference that. We can't force that, but we want to see that preference in pu public policy through the tax system, through policies which um, 
you know, don't work against the family like pornography, like the transgender, LGBTIQA plus uh, indoctrination of children. All these things are toxic to the natural family. So we want a, 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 a party that's unashamed about that and has that conversation in the political discourse. We are pro-life. And um, that's very different from the other two minor parties that you just mentioned, the Liberal Democrats and One Nation. One Nation has some very good pro-life members, individuals, but as a party, as a group unit, uh, there are some who have voted in parliaments for euthanasia. Um, they, they have a much more libertarian streak. And of course, the Liberal Democrats are libertarian. I've debated Liberal, Liberal Democrats, politicians on drug policy. They want to sell drugs in supermarkets. They believe in euthanasia, abortion, uh, surrogacy, commercial surrogacy, a whole range of uh, things. And of course, um, both One Nation and the Liberal Democrats um, you know, wouldn't support family first in wanting to reform prostitution uh, and protect uh, young women and girls caught up in the legal sex trade, which our governments have legalised. We are big proponents of the Nordic model, which penalises and criminalises men for buying women. Uh, we see prostitution as inherently violence against women. You won't find that in One Nation and uh, the Liberal Democrats. So, so there's a, a very, we are true social conservative party and we're wanting to see a place for these values, for these policy ideas carved out once again in the Australian political landscape because they've been abandoned by Labor and Liberal and of course they're not being prosecuted um, by uh, other minor parties that are in the space. So I think we've got a unique value proposition there. I think it's fair to say that uh, you have uh, equally bad voting records in the LNP, Liberal and National parties as well, uh, totally. members voting for mm. abortion and for euthanasia, uh, which I find unconscionable from uh, any right-wing party. But uh, it's also fair to say there are exceptions in the One Nation and Lib Dem parties who are uh, very, very socially conservative and would never support those things. Um, no, I think that's right, Dave. And, and look, I like John Ruddock, who's just been elected to the New South Wales Upper House. I, I think uh, I'm getting to know him. I think he is probably a social conservative, although I think and we're having an ongoing discussion about libertarian uh, political philosophy. His party is a libertarian party, uh, but uh, he, he wouldn't necessarily agree that uh, the parliament should get involved in some of the issues that I have uh, raised today. He would, um, you know, he, he would see that, you know, being left to the culture to sort out, whereas I think there's an active role for government to protect people from harm. So I'm not libertarian, not into licence. So yes, you know, he's a good man and I'm very glad that he's elected. Um, I, I like Mark Latham. Mark Latham is with us on so many issues. He's a champion for religious freedom. He's a champion on the transgender issues, on, on uh, getting the woke nonsense out of schools. There's many things that we see eye to eye, but uh, there are some very clear differences. And, and I've had to search my soul because, you know, why start family first when you've got other people doing good things? Um, because I, I do think that the issues that we uh, bring to the table are not being prosecuted by the major or other minor parties. And uh, I, I do believe we need a party like Family First that will unashamedly stand up for the human rights of the unborn, that will uh, fight uh, to protect the vulnerable from euthanasia. Um, none of these other parties, and, and of course, drugs and prostitution. So, you know, these social policy issues, there's a vacuum. And uh, I think this is where, you know, Family First is desperately needed because no one is taking these issues forward uh, in the political discourse. I think you're uh, doing a, a fantastic job. I think you're absolutely right that these issues need to be unapologetically argued and debated. Uh, this is something that the major party, the coalition, could argue and prosecute with the megaphone that they have through mainstream media. Uh, 
uh, as opposed to the, the suffocation or the starvation of oxygen that media give minor parties. Um, so it's important that uh, stations like The Good Source and ADH uh, and, and Spectator, etc., are, are giving voice um, to conservatives um, such as yourself. Um, where can people who love what you're saying, love the platform that you're describing, uh, go to find out more information about how to support the party and the coming elections in Queensland, ACT and Northern Territory. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Look, um, we've got a website, familyfirstparty.org.au. Uh, that's the best place to go. Um, there's a, a drop-down tab that says join us. You can either sign up as a member straight away, it's free, or you can just sign up to receive email updates and be part of a supporter base without taking out uh, membership. So uh, yeah, we'd love people to follow us or you can follow me, people can follow me on social media, I'm on Twitter and Facebook. So yeah, we'd love people to um, check us out. Now, uh, everybody who watches uh, the Good Source shows and Pelotalk uh, would know that uh, in the last year or two, your show was broadcast on the Good Source. It was uh, a pleasure and a privilege to be part of producing that. Uh, but I'm very excited that you've got an expanded audience now with ADH. Uh, finally, before we say goodbye, tell us uh, when you're on and when people can watch the Lyle Shelton show on ADH TV. <laughs> Yeah, look, thanks, Dave. Um, look, uh, I'm very grateful to you for what you've done for me over probably four or five years in helping produce uh, what, from, from my point of view, it was a very amateur podcast. Not not your part of it, my my aspect of it. Um, but you, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you, you um, very very much gave me a, good, um, a leg up and the good source did. And the studio that you're in there in Brisbane uh, was a, a big part of that. Uh, but I'm very grateful that uh, ADH, it's a new platform. I think both of us are now on it and uh, it's a wonderful opportunity for voices like ours to get out. My show is produced weekly and uh, very grateful to the team at ADH um, who, who produced that for me. And uh, it comes out uh, on the ADH website and app at 12 o'clock every Fridays. And, uh, and then it's available on social media over the weekend. So I encourage people to, to check out um, yeah, Lyle Shelton on ADH TV, uh, 12 noon Fridays. Very good. I add my endorsement. Watch that. Uh, great interviews, great diversity. In fact, uh, if you're just looking for something to watch and listen to, jump on to the ADH live stream, which is uh, replaying or encoring uh, shows that have uh, been there before. But uh, make sure you specifically catch uh, some episodes of the Lyle Shelton show that uh, so you can uh, be uh, more in tune and, and uh, aware of, of what the Family First Party and Lyle Shelton as its national director um, are able to offer uh, people who are looking for a, a, a freedom and family focused um, home for their vote in uh, coming elections. Lyle Shelton, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Really appreciate it, Dave. Thanks a lot. Well, joining me now is the newest member of the New South Wales Parliament in the Upper House, also called the Legislative Council, uh, John Ruddick. John, uh, very exciting that you've uh, been elected. Uh, I consider you a, a fellow traveller in uh, liberty and conservatism. Uh, welcome to the Church and State Show. Thanks very much for having me, Dave. Yes, we're very excited. We had about about 165,000 people across New South Wales put number one uh, in, in, the, in the ballot paper for, for the Liberal Democrats, which we're very pleased with. It's our best result in over 10 years uh, um, for a statewide result. And, you know, we, we've got eight years and we absolutely want to make an impact. Well, I've just spoken with Lyle Shelton about uh, the, the fates and fortunes of the Liberal Party. And in my editorial, I, I spoke about 
um, the need to save the Liberal Party, and and you're a historian of the Liberal Party and and where it's come from. So, just before I ask you about your future and the plans in the New South Wales Parliament, can you? Just tell us a little bit about where you think the Liberal Party has made missteps in the recent years or, or decades and uh, a brief, uh, I guess, plan or roadmap on how, if it's possible, the Liberal Party could be saved. Well, look, the first thing that needs to be said is, is that the Liberal Party has been an extraordinarily successful political party. Okay, So at a federal level, it has governed in the last 80 years, you know, you know, about 70% of the time, okay, which is, you know, in most English-speaking democracies, their, their traditional party of government from the left and their traditional party of government from the right, basically it's 50-50, you know, between the Republicans and the Democrats or the British Labor Party and the British Conservative Party. But in Australia, the Liberal Party has dominated like no other country, like no, no other English-speaking country uh, at a federal level. Now, that is impressive. What I think has happened is, with all that success, is it's become a government becomes a magnet for people who want to join the Liberal Party because they want to get something out of the Liberal Party for themselves. And when you're in government for so long, there's a lot of perks to hand out. There's seats in Parliament, there's staffing jobs, there's lobbying contracts, there's a lot of board positions, okay, and a lot of influence. So it's been uh, what has happened in the last 20 years is that it has really become uh, it's lost any philosophical debate. And it's just about sort of trying to just put careerists into Parliament. Okay, right. and this is why we, we don't have many people sort of speaking out, many sort of people who are motivated by ideas. And I, that trend is getting worse, not better. Now, let's talk about your ideas. You've just been elected for eight years. Uh, if you don't get re-elected, eight years is a great contribution to the public life and policy of the state of New South Wales. What do you hope to achieve realistically? What, what if, what's on your top of your list of things to achieve in the next eight years? Well, look, number one, I want to have an inquiry into the previous government's response to COVID, which I think was absolutely outrageous. I think we're suffering from that now with inflation and everything else. And I think we just cannot sweep it under the carpet. We've got to get to the bottom of, you know, should we have all been forced to, to wear silly masks and take silly vaccines, you know, and have pointless lockdowns. Everyone got, got COVID anyway. Okay, so I think it was massively overstated. We can't just let that go. We have to, we have, we have to sort of have a reckoning with that past to prevent it ever happening again. Okay, COVID aside, then the other massive issue facing New South Wales and all the states and the Commonwealth Government is all the debt, half of it related to silly COVID. We've got, when, when, the, when the Liberal Government came to power 12 years ago, uh, they inherited about seven, eight billion dollars worth of uh, New South Wales debt, which was very modest, okay? That was the Labor Party handed over a very modest debt after they'd been in power for 16 years. Now mm. the New South Wales debt is about 80 billion and it's on its way to about 114 billion. It's already baked in. Now, I was somewhat impressed with Chris Minns during the campaign because on more than one occasion, I heard him say, We've got, to, we've got to do something about this debt. We've got to stop spending. And, and uh, Dominic Perrottet was out there saying, oh, well, let's set, let's set up a superannuation policy for kids, OK? And let's give them free government money everywhere. No, so look, hopefully Chris Minns is going to be in that Labor right tradition where they are more fiscally sane. And then two other issues I'd like to highlight with you, Dave, is um, I am a global warming sceptic. I believe that this is a uh, junk science and I believe that this, this renewable revolution has not worked out 
and I think we should be having the lowest energy prices in the world and we've got these shocking energy prices and we should be really underpinned by a really strong uh, private sector energy market. Now, I, we're not against renewables, we're pro all forms of energy, nuclear, coal, gas, renewables, whatever. Uh, we just want the government out of the way. We don't want the government to subsidise or favour any particular type of, uh, type of energy. Now, the last thing we really want to focus on is the magnificent policy of school vouchers. So a school voucher system is where, at the beginning of each school year, all parents of school-aged children are given a voucher. Let's say it's worth you know, $7,000 or something. And the parents then get to decide at what school will they use that voucher to educate their children. Now that means the schools will be basically privately run. They will be, they'll have a profit motive to deliver excellence to their students. Because if they don't, if they don't do a good job educating their students, the parents can just take them to another school and use their voucher there. So we'd end up with mm -hmm. big schools, little schools, specialist schools. There might be a, a school very much focused on business or a particular religion or sport or art or music or whatever. But nobody loves the kids more than parents, a lot more than the bureaucrats at the That's Department right. of Education. So we, and it's, th this revolution is happening in the United States, it means we, could, we, we, we almost wouldn't need a Department of Education. We would only need a small department to manage the issuing of the vouchers. But basically we would let the schools be independent schools and I just think it's going to create excellence and, and save us a lot of money at the same time. I'm a huge fan of school vouchers, um, the empowerment and prioritisation of, of uh, parents in, in their choices, their ability to, to have some kind of stick, the withdrawal of funds if a school is, is failing to stand up to uh, their values and what they're trying to do at home. If a school is competing and undermining parents, um, that's a, a terrible thing. And to give parents the power to uh, go elsewhere is a, a fantastic thing. And uh, I believe this is taking off like wildfire in the United States of America. Arizona recently uh, has a, a begun school vouchers and there's about six other states where the legislation is pending. Now, why did Milton Friedman, the great Milton Friedman, propose school vouchers in the 1950s? So why has it taken us two generations since Milton Friedman first proposed it for um, American governments, state governments, starting to introduce it? A little thing came along called COVID. And the parents could then see what the kids were getting taught. And a lot of parents were very, very unhappy and good on them. I think they had good reasons to be unhappy. So now they're saying this school vouchers thing has become very popular with Republican lawmakers and Democrat lawmakers are very opposed to it because they were all tied up with the teachers unions, but they don't have many good arguments. And middle America mm. is saying, yeah, w this sounds great. We want more of it. So I think it's going to happen. I think so far it looks like it's been very successful in the United States. It's early days, but I can't see how it can't be successful. And then I think we want to we look at doing it in New South Wales. Brilliant. I love it. And uh, I, th I think this is one of the great things about federalism is that we can have one state do the experiment, take the lead and, and show everybody how it works or doesn't work. As was the case with uh, Joe Bjorki-Peterson's abolition of death duties in Queensland. Everybody said it wouldn't work. And then businesses and everybody started moving to Queensland and the Gold Coast boomed on, on the back of that. And, and now there's death duties nowhere in this nation. Nobody's estate is taxed after they die uh, because it's a fantastic nation building idea. Absolutely, yes. The crossbench is exciting. I said at the beginning of, of the show that uh, 
a crossbench is the best short-term solution we have for putting the brakes on bad legislation and out-of-control government uh, in the short term. I believe saving the Liberal Party is the necessary long-term solution, but uh, that's not going to be a short-term solution. Uh, the crossbench in uh, the new New South Wales Parliament is all important because there's 21 people who are right of centre in the upper house, 21 people who are left of centre, which means there is a real chance uh, that that the Labor government won't be able to get away with absolutely anything they want. Tell me how you think that's going to work out, where the Speaker of the House is going to come from and and, uh, and, and what the actual influence on the balance of power is going to look like in the next four years. OK, well, look, you've described it well. There's 42 members of the Legislative Council and we had it fully confirmed yesterday about who's, who's just got elected. And as you say, 21 uh, to the right of centre and 21 to the left of centre. Now, the tricky bit is this, is that somebody, one of those 42 people, uh, has to be uh, the, the, the president or what is often known as the speaker, but in fact, in the Legislative Council, it's called the president. Okay. Now, whoever's that president gets a big bump in salary and they get this really palatial office, OK? They have their own tennis court, OK, if you're the president of the Legislative <laughs> Council, OK? So it's really, really, the perks are fantastic if you're, the, if you're the president. But they don't get a vote unless it's a tie, which is going to be hard to do. There'd have to be somebody missing from the chamber because there's not an even number with the, with the uh, president's right. vote out. So, so somebody has to, we can't have a legislative council without a president. So I suspect that, uh, you know, that the, the Labor Party will be looking for somebody from the right to be the president. And I suspect that the, the coalition, you know, which is the biggest party in the Legislative Council and the opposition, they'll be looking at peeling off somebody from the left. So it will be very, very interesting uh, about who's mm. going they can't, to... They can't meet until they've got a president, so that will be... That will be uh, it's gonna, look, it's going to be very important for passing laws in New South Wales who this, uh, who this president is. So assuming uh, the Chris Minns government uh, successfully takes one person from the right of the upper house to become the president of the Legislative Council. Uh, they will have a majority of one, which means uh, if any single person left of centre, uh, the Greens or, or any of their you know, animal justice or, or, or those wacky parties uh, dissents or, or can be uh, picked off from that majority, then bad legislation can be stopped. Uh, it, it, does that seem like that's going to come into play very often uh, in your uh, predictions? Well, I very much hope so. Um, look, on the left, there is obviously the Labor Party, there's the Greens, there's Animal Justice, and there's a newly elected fellow from the Cannabis Party. So there's four groups there. But most okay. of the time, Greens are going to back Labor. And so yeah. it's, really, it's really going to come down to, you know, Labor's going to need to get... Uh, the Animal Justice Party person and the cannabis person uh, to, you know, to support them. Now, I don't think that's going to happen all the time. The, the cannabis mm. guy had previously been in the New South Wales Legislative Council as a Green, but then he had a sort of uh, falling out with them because he thought that they were sort of uh, not focused on ecology enough and more focused on sort of non-environmental issues. Imagine his surprise. The Greens aren't all about environmentalism. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yes, yes. So, so look, it, it'll... Um, 
I think there's, look, I'm told that there's usually quite a collegial spirit in the, in the Legislative Council, so I'm looking forward to that. But, you know, we don't, we'll be out there fighting for principles very much at, at every step of the way. Very good. Well, it's uh, great to have you as a friend. I'm excited uh, about the influence you can uh, wield uh, in favour of liberty in New South Wales, something sorely missing over the last three years. Um, and, uh, and hopefully on, on the issues of, of education, independence, uh, economic responsibility, uh, COVID um, policy justice, and uh, the other issues that uh, are burning in your mind, uh, that you'll actually have some influence and, uh, and drag New South Wales, even if ever so tiny, into the right direction. I, I um, really applaud the, the evolution in parliamentary democracy in New South Wales. I think it's going to be uh, a, a positive step in the right direction and we need to consolidate on this and uh, build the crossbench even more at the next New South Wales and, and the other state elections. Uh, John Ruddick, congratulations and uh, thank you again for joining me today. Thanks very much, Dave. Good to see you. Today, we need a special kind of courage. Not the kind needed in battle, but a kind which makes us stand up for everything that we know is right, everything that is true and honest. We need the kind of courage that can withstand the subtle corruption of the cynics so that we can show the world that we are not afraid of the future.